buying clean energy is very different depending on what zip code you live in. And so I wanted to build a one-to-many solution. You could live anywhere, Kentucky, DC, Maryland, and still access the ability to decarbonize your, the power you're using. Welcome to Climate Positive, a podcast produced by Hannon Armstrong, a leading investor in climate solutions. I'm Chad Reed. I'm Hillary Langer. I'm Gil Jenkins. In this series, we host candid conversations with the leaders, innovators, and changemakers driving our climate-positive future. This week, we caught up with Kiran Raju, CEO and founder of Arcadia, a tech company that allows consumers to opt in to clean energy. Arcadia purchases energy from some of the community solar projects Hannon Armstrong has financed. So it's fun to learn more about what this looks like on Arcadia's side as they work to decarbonize the grid. Karen, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, excited to be here. Let's start off by talking a little bit about your early years. So you grew up in Kentucky in the heart of coal country. What was your childhood like? It was amazing. It, it definitely was the heart of coal country. I'm in my late 30s. And so when I grew up there, coal was dying a very slow death. Mountaintop removal had sort of taken off. And so it wasn't underground mines in the way that I think most of America thinks about. It's literally blowing off mountains was uh, part of what I saw growing up, but loved growing up there. And I say this as like just an eye-opening thing. I don't think it like set me on a path, but I remember specifically going into a mine, an underground mine, actually, when I was uh, in, I think it was second or third grade. And just this like profound impact on me of like, I could not believe this is something that people do. Was that a school field trip? Oh, yeah. Pretty standard if you grow up in Pike, Floyd, around that parts of eastern Kentucky. So, yeah, special. But it was great. I loved it. Kentucky's a special place. And energy was everywhere. Uh, my father worked on black lung patients. Massey Energy sponsored my Little League teams. It was a big part of life. Following college, you worked on the Hill as a legislative aide to Congressman John Yarmouth of Kentucky who is pretty outspoken about climate change and the need for climate change solutions. How did your time on the Hill influence how you think about and talk about climate change? Yeah, so John actually represented Louisville, Kentucky, which is sort of the biggest city in the state. And so it was kind of easier for him to be talking about climate solutions. My time on the Hill was incredible. I feel like I got a PhD on how the world works, how the world doesn't work sometimes, and also how bizarre our U.S. energy market is (laughs) in terms of the monopoly structures, the sort of deregulated structures, the beginning of the opening of the ISOs and capacity markets, and learning a ton about FERC, the penetration of renewables, energy efficiency. It was just amazing that seeing the, and working on the failed climate bill, where we made a bunch of House members take a vote behind this, didn't even come up in the Senate. And, uh, you know, it was a terrible political move, but It was an amazing education, and I just saw the wave coming, right? It was so painfully obvious we were going to transition. It was so painfully obvious how massive the transition was going to be in terms of power in a figurative and literal sense, like who was going to own the future power grid and who was going to manage it and how it was going to be distributed and clean and just what that meant for like the economic change. And, And so I left 
Capitol Hill to actually start a business in energy efficiency. Um, you know, through that, you know, learning a ton about going even deeper into energy markets, capacity markets, um, working with utilities in some cases, selling to utilities, which is incredibly painful. All of that sort of led up to creating Arcadia. For those who aren't familiar with Arcadia, could you briefly describe the business model? Absolutely. So we're a software business. We're a technology company and we built in what we call a digital infrastructure platform. So we don't own assets. We don't take positions in the market. We don't actually build any of the solar projects we manage. We've built a very thin software and data layer that provides tools to energy innovators, solar developers, rooftop solar, storage, EV, all the companies that need the various tools and data and services that the traditional utility offers. So data, payments and billing, analytics, rates and tariffs, and obviously easy access to clean energy. Like a lot of my colleagues at Hannon, I am a happy Arcadia customer. And from my perspective, it's just an easy way to get cleaner power and save a little money. But I know that there is a lot that goes on behind the scenes. Could you talk a little bit about how you developed this customer experience that we see today? Totally. So the business you see today on the website is uh, was the original idea. And in some ways, we were a little too early. So in the early days, we decided to go direct to consumer, right? Provide the option of cleaner energy to everyone in the country. And as you know, and as probably a lot of listeners know, buying clean energy is very different depending on what zip code you live in. And so I wanted to build like a one-to-many solution. You could live anywhere, Kentucky, DC, Maryland, and still access the ability to decarbonize your the power you're using, whether that's through RECs, community solar, retail energy, et cetera. And you know, something unique that we did was build software to actually manage, not just understand your data at a meter level, how much energy you use, what rates and tariffs you're on, et cetera, but also manage a single bill. I think that's actually one of the more interesting and more important things we're doing, and actually as it applies to community solar, is simplifying the process. Most Americans know one thing about their home energy, and it's that they pay a bill every month. I don't know what the hell a kilowatt hour is. They couldn't tell you how anything works. And that's okay. That's like where we want to meet people is like, here's the behavior. Here's the thing you do. Let's simplify it. Let's take all this, all the complexity I just described about buying power in different zip codes and abstract it away and just make a really clean user interface for the customer. And so we've had this direct-to-consumer product. We've got customers in all 50 states. We've had it for years. One of the things that Arcadia seems really proactive about is engaging with your consumers. So as a customer myself, I get my monthly bill, but then also get policy updates and even suggestions of different ways that I can engage on these issues. Why is it important to you that your customers know or care about these issues? Yeah, so I think there's two answers to this that we think about. One is nobody has any clue, specifically when it comes to community solar, people still don't know what it is, right? There's still like so many question marks. They think it it involves a power plant on their roof or on their property, or they'll have to sign 20-year agreements, have the best credit score. And so in a lot of ways, we've had to educate the market. We've had to simplify things. I think one of the things that I'm most proud of is and I think the entire industry has adopted it at this point, is extremely flexible terms for community solar specifically. We've ripped away the long-term contracts, the, the cancellation fees, the, the super high credit scores, because we have data to help underwrite that customer. 
And so we've taken away a lot of the complexity. In community solar is incredibly unique because it's fungible, right? You can move customers in and out. It's not stuck to your roof. You could live in an apartment and we can manage that. But we spend a lot of time thinking about to what extent we should engage customers and when. Some customers simply want cleaner energy. Some customers want cheaper energy. They may not even care about the clean part. And then we have customers who want to be extremely active. They want to reach out to their public service commissioner. and we, They want to reach out to their state legislator to say, hey, expand this program. And we want to give them the tools to do that. I think that's important. You've seen consumer tech companies like Uber and Airbnb do this with incredible success. When customers like and want a product, especially in one in our sort of highly regulated markets, then we should activate them to make that impact if they want. And so we have, I would say I've always been surprised by the spectrum of customers we have, both political leanings, left and right, just want to pay by credit card. That's the reason they sign up. Want cleaner energy, obviously, and will advocate for it politically. And those that just love the fact they're saving five to 10% on their bills and don't need to know anything else. And so I want to be able to speak to all those communities. You mentioned that community solar is often misunderstood. What do people get wrong about it? They, they just equate it to rooftop solar. I think probably a lot of people listening to this podcast and, and a lot of consumers still, what they've known for you know, almost two decades is a power plant on the roof, a high credit score, 20-year contract, cancellation fees. And the analogy just breaks down so dramatically because community solar's offtake is fungible. And what that means is if you move, I can slide someone else in automatically. That's the work we do, right, to optimize the asset. And it just dramatically changes how to underwrite an asset because ultimately what you're, as let's say someone in finance is underwriting, is how good is the subscription manager to refill? How many customers are in the utility territory that could do that? That is the thing you're actually underwriting. Is it a, a significant savings opportunity for the customer? We have never had below 100% subscription on you know, the hundreds of megawatts we manage. You know, we've been doing this for four years. And you know, actively in the community solar market. And I think that's really important. Like we have a strong track record to show that there's no revenue risk because of the fungibility. And so that's one of the big misconceptions I would say from the finance side. It's really its own asset class in a lot of ways. I think it's much safer than CNI solar and even Resi rooftop solar because of that fact is you've got this amazing distribution asset. You get the economies of scale. And the offtake's fungible, so you're, you're sort of protected if your subscription manager is good enough. And so I think it just gets equated too often to what people know rather than sort of looking at it as its own asset class. At Hannon Armstrong, as you know, we provide financing to get some of these community solar projects off the ground. And in advance of our conversation, I was talking with some colleagues and they mentioned they like seeing the Arcadia name come across in the docs because you're very pro-consumer and really direct about what your terms are. Was that a strategic decision from the start? 100%. Ultimately, being consumer-focused is what will put this asset class on a different trajectory than, say, rooftop solar, than, say, retail energy. A lot of rooftop solar companies they do a great job, right? They offer savings. A lot of those companies, they make wild predictions about how much they're going to save you over a 20-year 
period, or what the production value will be. Retail energy companies are a whole nother, they're, while some of them do well, there's a sort of an ugly side to that business where they're, they'll sell you on a rate and they'll, they'll jack it up over time. This product, if structured well, can make a lot of money for developers and investors and for the consumer be cheaper, cleaner, resilient, and most of all, equitable, right? I think that's like the most exciting thing about this product period is anyone that pays a power bill should be able to sign up. And by taking away the credit checks and just relying on, you know, historical information, did you pay your power bill on time? You know, you strip away any of the sort of discriminatory things that might exist within like a credit check, a credit score. And ultimately, I want to see community solar in all 50 states. I think it's one of the fastest competitive energy trends of like the last century. And, you know, the way to do that is to make sure regulators understand like consumers like it and companies like ours and I think others in the market are focused on the customer and that experience. When you testified before Congress last year, you emphasized the importance of community solar for lower income families. How does that influence how you market Arcadia? It's important. What I see happening is a lot of states focused on carve-outs for LMI communities, low and moderate income communities. And that's wonderful. Um, We acquired a company called iSolar recently based out of Denver. They're one of the largest direct sales companies focused on community solar. And one of the reasons we were so excited about them is we had traditionally done, you know, digital acquisition, taking consumer tech channels to acquire customers. And what we found is that was difficult for LMI communities. It was hard to sort of be able to get in front of different communities. And so iSolar was exciting because they gave us a way to sort of be able to expand who we bring in as well. But look, a lot of states are creating carve-outs, and I think that's great. I think it's a product that It could have gone a different direction where it could have just been the same customers that were thinking about doing rooftop solar. And I think we would have really missed like a big opportunity around an equitable transition. And so we've been really active in in markets where and with developers who have projects slotted for LMI communities across Jersey, Maryland, New York, et cetera. Some representatives, of course, still oppose renewable energy legislation and that go-to knee-jerk refrain is that the legislation would kill good coal jobs. Coming from Kentucky, I imagine you have some credibility in this area. How do you reply to them? There's no jobs left to kill. That was one of the things I actually said to the uh, one of the Republican staffers. There's a utility-scale project going up in Harlan County, actually, right now. You know, I, more people are employed by solar in the state of Kentucky than coal. And people don't realize this. They're just are not. The jobs are completely gone. And so it's really a false hearing. During the testimony, this question came up exactly like you described. And it's surprising to me that a lot of lawmakers still hold on to this when there's just such an incredible economic development story for the communities that have done renewable energy projects. Like, most community solar, the developers and like listening to this one will know this well. Like most of the solar projects are going up in rural areas. They're going up uh, on unused farmland. You know, they're helping out communities that maybe don't have many options left. And so, none of these things are ever black and white as much as our politicians want to make it out to be. 
So, you know, and I think that that message has been carrying through. I think a lot of folks on the Republican side of the aisle actually in the state legislatures have been really supportive of community solar. It's been great to see. Are there any states that you're especially excited about in terms of progress on community solar? Totally. There's been some expansions in the last year, uh, Maryland and Illinois specifically, which has been exciting to see. So they, they got a program up, they realized how big the consumer demand was, or even the demand from the developer side, uh, which you've seen in Maine, is just explosive uh, interconnection queue. So that's been great. You know, seeing Virginia and New Mexico, in my opinion, from a from a political perspective, these you know fully vertically integrated monopoly states like Minnesota, like Colorado, introducing this competitive energy trend is is great to see, and I, I'd love to see more of that, and not just make this sort of a product that's available in the already deregulated markets. So that's been exciting. I know there's a lot of momentum in places like Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Ohio. And, you know, I fully expect in the next few years, you know, another dozen states to, to actually pass legislation. That's great. And in states where there isn't currently legislation, how does Arcadia work? Yeah, so we have, like I was saying earlier, we use whatever's available. So if they don't have community solar, we will sort of package a renewable energy certificate to a customer's bill. And if they have a competitive market, we'll, we'll find the best retail energy plan for them. Those have been sort of our methods to date. We really focus on community solar, though, because it's just such an incredible product. Consumers absolutely love it. And I, I say this to our team internally. I don't think there's any better... There's no better retail energy product in America than signing up for cheaper, cleaner, local, clean energy. I know your team's been increasingly focused on data and data-driven analysis and energy efficiency to drive decarbonization. Where do you see the biggest opportunity in that space? Our fundamental thesis is everyone is sort of missing a huge piece of the decarbonization puzzle especially in the built environment. And that's just data, data at a meter level. What is going on in a home or building, a commercial building? How are they using energy? What rates and tariffs are available? What's the carbon intensity? And this stuff's all siloed, right? There's you know thousands of utilities, all of them with different structures. And we've built this platform to unlock this data. It's been wildly valuable for community solar because I could give you you know, six and a half kilowatts of solar capacity, because we see that in your historical usage. And then we could give someone else 15 or 20 because they have a hot tub and a pool or, you know, and we can, we can manage that. That's just one example of why I think we've had such an advantage in community solar, but that applies to like electric vehicles and optimization, energy efficiency in a building, load shifting, and finding the best times to discharge a battery. So we have over a hundred partners actually on our platform across electric vehicles, solar, storage, smart home IoT, who are all finding new ways to either, one, increase their lifetime value per customer, lowering their cost to acquire, or just providing a better experience for the consumer. And, you know, we've been expanding, you know, with the acquisition of iSolar, we've been expanding into commercial, small commercial and large commercial as well. Uh, customers. We've really been focused on residential, but recently in the last year, started moving more into the commercial market. And especially for community solar, you know, we've been able to do the full stack, commercial anchors, SMB customers, or residential customers for projects. 
Does this emphasis on data change the user experience? It's a, it's a good question. Like one thing we struggle with is how much do consumers actually want to know and act on it? So the data is really useful for third parties, right? Like our solar developer partners, as an example, they're the ones using the data. I don't expect a customer to like look at their energy usage more than once, maybe a quarter a year. The whole promise is if we unlock this data, third parties can deliver better products, more optimized products, better services. Like the whole idea, there was a whole rash of companies like a decade ago that were like asking customers to change their behavior and do things. And I can barely manage paying bills on time, like having to do an analysis of my kilowatt hour usage is a little crazy. So the whole idea here is like unlocking that data for third parties so they can be the ones to deliver better experiences and, and just make the consumer's lives easier. So you don't see the consumer looking at an Arcadia app and trying to figure out when they're going to charge their car, for instance. No, I want to do it for them. I want to give them a very basic option. That is, do you want the cheapest charge or the least carbon intensive charge? There's always going to be a segment and probably the people listening to this podcast are that segment of people that like actively change their Nest thermostat every 15 minutes <laughs> according to some price change. But that's just not 99% of America. What are you most excited about for Arcadia in the next few years? Honestly, the explosion of community solar is so exciting. I think retail energy left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths with the way the rate structures work. Rooftop solar, like I have no, I have no doubt that community solar will be larger than rooftop solar in the coming decade. It just makes more sense for a broader swath of Americans, for utilities. It's, it's easier to underwrite, which is where I think we're, we're getting to because of the fungibility of the offtake. And it's, you know, I started the company, there were two states, like Vermont and Colorado, and now there's 16. It's nuts. It's one of the fastest growing solar trends. So that's exciting. And then honestly, we've been seeing a ton of, around the, the platform side, just a ton of interest from EV companies who are thinking about themselves more than sheet metal and batteries, which one EV OEM told us <laughs> is they used to just sell pretty sheet metal and now they're thinking about the whole energy customer. And I think the opportunity there is if you can understand how to leverage energy, home energy, roaming, charging, it's an opportunity for an EV OEM to sort of take back the fuel side. You know, when you think of car companies today, right, there's, there's car companies and then there's like the whole world of fuel, right? The gas companies, the gas stations, et cetera. And I think there's a future where the really smart OEMs can just own more of the stack and more of the customer experience around the fuel, when to charge, how to charge, et cetera. So. How do you see Arcadia fitting in there? I'll give you a really simple example. And we'll be announcing some partnerships later this year. You buy a car, uh, you bring it home. You have literally no idea when to charge it, how much it's going to cost you, how much carbon it's using. All of those data points we can automate. The EV company can provide you those options. You know, We can change someone's time of use rate to match their charging, to save them money. We ran an analysis in, in San Diego of some of our EV customers, and we could save them anywhere from $300 to sometimes $1,000 a year just by no behavior change, just changing their time of use rate. 
they exist just nobody knows that time of use is what they can do it's and then the math of like how much am i going to save on rate seven versus rate nine we build software to do that i think that's one example there's you know there's ideas um, where we're talking to some oems about about when you lease a vehicle what if you leased the entire value chain so you leased the charger the energy as well as the vehicle all through a single bill branded by the ev okay. company so there's a lot, you know, similar to community solar, just so just rapidly expanding. Also, a lot of consumer education that still has to happen, but, you know, incredibly exciting stuff. That's awesome. I want to switch now to the rapid fire fill in the blanks. First, the world needs more. Passionate people about decarbonization. Environmental justice means. Breaking the fossil fuel monopoly. The biggest misconception about energy is? That it can be abundant with clean energy sources. We don't have to sacrifice. We don't have to use less. That we can believe in abundance with renewable sources. But you still like energy efficiency? We do. We do. We do. Do you? We do. But ultimately... You know, I think this is an interesting, we can, we can spend a whole podcast talking about this. Customers don't want to make sacrifices. And at the end of the day, like who uses energy? It's a bunch of us and businesses and customers. And I think the frame of efficiency is often around sacrifice. And I think we need to okay. think about abundance. Everything can be clean and we can have unlimited power. That makes sense. We also see that energy efficiency can be the cheapest way to reduce carbon. And so if we can get the same light with a different light fixture. Totally agree. So we've got, we've got a long way to go to get through abundant clean energy and efficiency has to be a tool. One of the most important lessons I learned last year was? I think patience. I have two small kids. It's been a tough year. Company's grown tremendously. But I think my, my kids taught me a lot about patience in this past year. I want my kids to be proud of me for? For doing my part to make sure that the world is a little less, has less of a climate crisis than the path we're currently on. Finally, to me, climate positive means? It means all of the above for a better world for everyone. We need, to your point, energy efficiency, clean energy. We need all hands on deck. I say something around the, the company, and I think this is true. I think every company will be a climate tech company very soon. They'll all be thinking about their climate impacts. And so everyone's going to have to be climate positive. Well, thank you for all of your work to move us in that direction. And thanks so much for being a guest on the show. Climate Positive is produced by Hannon Armstrong. If you enjoyed this week's podcast, please share it with a friend and leave us a rating and review on Apple and Spotify. You can also let us know what you thought via Twitter at climateposipod or email us at climatepositive at hannonarmstrong.com. I'm Hilary Langer, and this is Climate Positive. <laughs>